Well, good morning. Good to see everyone. It's already been a great morning as we've celebrated baptism, baby dedication, and now we get to celebrate preaching. So turn with me to Acts chapter 16 this morning. We're going to continue in our series in Acts. If you're a guest with us, we're so thankful that you are here. We preach through uh, the Bible verse by verse, and we've been going through the book of Acts, and we've gotten to chapter 16, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 15 this morning. Our series is entitled, Lord, Send Your Church. We are a sent people. If we are a saved people by God's grace, then we are a sent people into the world to reach those who do not know him. This month is October, of course, and this is our month of impact. So if you've been a part of the life of our church and have been here in our life groups and other places, we've been focusing in on how we can tell our story, how we can be ones who are sent to proclaim the good news of Christ Jesus. And so this morning in our life groups, we discussed that personal testimony and how the story that we have, like so many of you in this room, have a story of how God has saved us through maybe our mother, our grandmother, our father, our friends, whoever it may be. And so we have a testimony of what God has done in our life. And so we rejoice at that testimony. And we've been learning of what that means to share and give that testimony. Just in light of that, our college ministry is now today uh, wrapping up their, their retreat weekend in uh, Conway, South Carolina. They've been on the campus of Coastal Carolina, working with the Baptist Christian Ministries there at Coastal Carolina, and really just doing exactly what we're talking about, sharing, seeking to reach those who do not know Christ. And yesterday, through our college ministry there, two people came to know the Lord on the campus of Coastal Carolina. So we praise God for that. Thinking of college, I, I was having to, to uh, if you're a Baptist like me, like a preacher, any meeting we go to, somebody's going to give us a t-shirt. And so I've got probably several hundred. And so I'm calling through those t-shirts this week, and I was reminded with Allison about my favorite t-shirt in college, one I wore all the time. It was an FCA t-shirt, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And me being a college athlete, I, I proudly supported them and wanted to, to be a part of it. And this t-shirt had a verse on the back, and really it was just a few words. And, and, and the verse comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is writing to the Corinthians talking about this issue. And he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Now, my T-shirt on the back of it had the last little phrase there in chapter 10, verse 33 of 1 Corinthians. It says in the, the version I used, the English Standard Version, that they may be saved. My t-shirt said to win as many as possible. And I love that because it's a viable translation. It works, but it also has a double meaning, right? To win as many people as possible to Jesus and as many games as possible, right? So it worked great. This was my favorite T-shirt. I loved to wear it. And I was one of the best T-shirt wearers in college, just to be honest. I could wear them inside out and they'd still look cool. Don't ask me why I'd do it, but just cause. Or in college, in the 90s, we had baggy jeans and the front tuck. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You just put the T-shirt, tuck it right in the front, and you look nice. I wore this shirt 
everywhere to win as many people, as, much, as many as possible. To win as many as possible. Now, in college, they loved it. Everybody wanted to know where I got my T-shirt. Everybody liked it. The FCA, where'd you get that T-shirt? We didn't have it at our school. Where's the... And I told no one because I wanted the only one. Then I got to seminary. Everybody in college is loving that T-shirt and thinks it's great and asking me where I got it. But I get to seminary. I'm wearing it for the first time down the hallway going to play basketball in the gym at seminary. And some seminary student said, hey, man, that verse is out of context. You'll get it later. Seminary people think they know everything, and uh, the guy tried to, tried to take away my joy from my shirt. But in 1 Corinthians 10, I think that phrase, to win as many as possible, was the heart of Paul's ministry. It was the heart of who he was and what he was striving for, to win as many as possible. And if we believe the gospel, and hear me when I say this, if you're a guest with us, maybe for the first time, maybe you've never heard this before, you're going to hear a message about what it means for us to seek to reach those who are far from God. Seek to reach those who do not know Jesus Christ. And we take no shame in that or no hesitation or reservation. For if you believe what the scripture says, that there is a heaven and there is a hell, and the only way salvation can come is if you know and believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ, then we proclaim Jesus Christ hoping that some would believe in him and be saved from eternal hell and have everlasting life. So if we believe this, then we must share it, we must preach it, we must proclaim it. And Paul saw this as his great mission, to win as many as possible. To win as many as possible. And that's what we find here in Acts 16. In Acts 16, we, we find Paul with his team now of Silas going on his second missionary journey. He's going on his second missionary journey. His first one's back in 13 and 14, Acts 13 and 14. Now he's going on his second journey. And his goal was to reach those who are far from God, to win as many as possible. And so let's look together in Acts 16, verse 1, and read through verse 15. You can follow along with me in your Bible if you have it, or on the screen, it'll be there as well. The word says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went to Tros, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail for Tros, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and following, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, 
And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her husband, uh, excuse me, her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your kindness to us and allowing us this privilege to worship you today. Already what we have been able to take part in, to see baptism and dedication of children to you, Father, what a joy it is. And so God, now as we look to your word, we just pray that your word would shape us and mold us, that your spirit would speak to us through it, that if anyone is here today that doesn't know you, that you would prepare their heart to receive the gospel even now. And that, Father, you would encourage within each and every one of us a desire to reach others with the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your kindness. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The stated purpose of the second missionary journey that Paul and Silas are going on here was to strengthen the churches that were established on the first journey. Their first missionary journey had gone through uh, what is known as Asia Minor, Asia there, gone through from city to city, establishing the churches, setting up leadership in each place, and then moving on to the next. And now they're going back to strengthen them, especially in light of what happened in chapter 15. You remember in chapter 15, we spent some time there with the Jerusalem Council. The issue came up as to what is required of the Gentiles in order for them to become believers in Jesus Christ. The thought was that some had argued that they had to take circumcision, the sign and mark of the covenant in the Old Testament. But what was determined in Acts 15 is that that is not a requirement. That is not necessary for them to come into faith. They placed no burden on them, only that they would worship the one true and living God. And so the elders and leaders in Jerusalem wrote this in a letter, and now Paul has the letter in his hand, and his desire is to go from church to church that was established on the first journey to encourage them. To say there's no barrier, there's no hindrance, there's nothing else. Just simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and worship him alone. And so Paul is going from church to church trying to uh, encourage those churches that were formed in that first journey. Especially Lystra. No telling what Paul would find in Lystra. If you remember, Lystra was the town where Paul was stoned and left for dead. He had been proclaiming the gospel, raising up the truth of Jesus Christ, teaching and preaching about the cross. That cross becomes a stumbling block to others, and those others become angry. And so they take Paul and they stone him, truly believing he was dead. They left him, as the scripture says, for dead outside the city. Paul, of course, was not dead. He rose up. He came back into the city there, and he began to preach more. But maybe as Paul left and the church was there, maybe threats continued. Maybe it was harsh. Maybe fear reigned in their lives. Maybe there was struggles there for this church. So Paul, even coming from, from city to city, may have been concerned. But especially what happened in Lystra. Did they see what happened to Paul and they shrink back in fear and not follow after him? This was a concern. But when Paul got to Lystra, he found joy. He found a church that was striving together for the gospel. 
He found one that was thriving with the good news of Christ. And it even tells us that they're growing in numbers, increasing in numbers as he was there. He sees the church not only planted, but growing and continuing to proclaim the gospel so others may believe. And not only that, when he gets to Lystra, he finds another precious gift, a lifelong companion named Timothy. You see, Timothy here in Acts 16, Paul meets Timothy probably at a, a very young age of 17 or 18, and Timothy would become a lifelong companion for Paul. In fact, Paul's last letter written was 2 Timothy, writing to Timothy right before he would be killed. Paul calls Timothy in those letters his true child in the faith, his beloved child. Paul saw Timothy as one who, who he had the responsibility to teach and to train up and to prepare in ministry, to send out. Many of the letters that we see in the New Testament, we see them coming from Paul and from Timothy, right? And so we see them together, working together, side by side for the gospel. They meet here in Acts 16. And Paul is instilling in Timothy a desire that he has that we get to the farthest places we can and reach the most people we can with the good news of Jesus Christ. But before he began his journey with Paul, Paul had to teach Timothy his first lesson. If we're going to reach people with the good news of Christ, we do whatever it takes. First, he says this, if we're going to reach people with the good news of Jesus, we must do whatever it takes. Now, this is a little bit of, a, of, a, of an argument that needs to be made or seen here. Because in Acts 16, verse 1, you see Timothy is described as the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a, a Greek. So he's the son of a Jewish woman, which makes him a Jew. His father is a Gentile. And because of that, Timothy has not been circumcised. He's not been circumcised. Now, we learn more about Timothy when we read the letters there. Uh, 2 Timothy, his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois taught him the scriptures well. He's a disciple, as it says here, well spoken of. He's a gifted leader, as Paul would say, don't neglect the gift you have, gifted speaker. We learn a lot, but Timothy had not been circumcised. Now, we recognize what does that mean or, or, or what does that give? He, here, here's a Jew, a, a, a Jewish male now who hasn't been circumcised, recognizing they haven't been keeping the law, they haven't been following after these things. And so ultimately we got a problem. The problem is Timothy with a Greek father, a Gentile father, had not been circumcised. But, but that shouldn't be a problem, right? Acts 15 just happened. They just said no need for circumcision, no need for this to take place. No need to recognize the Jewish law there to be put under the covenant through the act of circumcision. It's not required. So there should not be a problem. If circumcision is not required to be a Christian and they are free with no burden, then why would Paul have Timothy circumcised? It does us good to remember a couple things. The question earlier was whether Gentiles should be circumcised to be Christians. And the answer is no. Now understand again, circumcision represented a whole belief system, a whole promises of God. It represented you, you were tied in with the covenant and the promises of God. It represented you were following after his law. It represented and showed as an outward sign that you were pursuing after the Lord, if you will. And so here, that's what it represented for them, but there's no need for this anymore because of what Christ has done. That was the decision. Timothy was a Jew because of his mother, but he had not been circumcised, and he didn't have to. 
Circumcision had given, would give him nothing before the Lord, no merit or standing earned or taken away because of it. He didn't have to be. That was the decision of Acts 15. But Paul understood something else. As long as Timothy was not circumcised, his faithfulness by the Jews would be in question. This is what it says here. He says he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. They knew his father was a Gentile. So if he was not circumcised, they would say, you're, you're a Gentile, and his faithfulness would be in question. His identity as a Jew would be in question. His spiritual integrity as a Jew would be in question. As long as he was, he was not circumcised, then there was really no Jewish people that would hear him when he proclaimed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. There's none that would hear him when he proclaimed the cross as the only way of salvation. There's none that would hear him that when he proclaimed the hope of the gospel. And if he were to lead them to Christ, no one would hear him because he'd not been circumcised. He's in question from the beginning. For him to have the kind of authority, respect, and integrity that would be needed, especially in ministry to the Jews, he must be circumcised. The lack of circumcision was a stumbling block, a hindrance to the advancement of the gospel to those that Timothy may teach and proclaim and give the gospel to. So Paul had him circumcised. Now what does this teach us? Ultimately, this is a matter of what theologians call adiaphora or matters of indifference. In other words, for Paul, this, it doesn't matter, circumcision or uncircumcision. In fact, I'll prove that in just a minute. It goes back to that 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I don't want to be a stumbling block to the Jews. I don't want to be a stumbling block to the Gentiles. In everything I do, whether I eat or drink, I just want to bring glory to God to win as many as I possibly can. Paul is saying, I'm ready and willing to do whatever it takes to win as many as I possibly can to the gospel of Jesus Christ. On this, we see Paul writing to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's verse 11. Galatia was the region that Paul was in even during this time in the second missionary journey. And, and some had come to that church in Galatia and they had told them in order to be saved, you have to be circumcised. And Paul's writing and he's being very forceful here. He says in verse 11, chapter 6, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Many believe Paul was, was blind, maybe even uh, couldn't read, nearsighted, and, and had to have some help in, in reading small letters. I mean, all of us do. If you were to see my notes, the letters have gotten progressively bigger in the last four years. And so Paul usually wrote or, or gave his letters through a secretary, someone who would take dictation and write out what he said. And so here, though, at this point, Paul says, give me the pen. Let me have the pen. I'm going to write this myself so they understand exactly where it's coming from. And Paul takes the pen from his secretary, the one who's writing down this letter, and he says, see, I'm writing this with my own hand. This is how important this is. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. They desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. In other words, this group is going around saying, let's get on. We got 25 circumcised this week at church. Praise God. 
They're bragging about it in such a way that they can brag about them. And they're doing it so they don't have to talk about the cross. Because Paul told the Corinthians the cross was the stumbling block. Nobody wanted their king to be crucified on a cross, right? It's the stumbling block. And so Paul says you're ashamed of the cross, so you're trying to bring them in in the back door through circumcision and the Old Testament way. And Paul says it's not going to happen. Because in verse 14, he says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you're saying you don't want to boast in the cross. You boast in keeping the law, which circumcision represents. Paul says, I boast only in the cross, except in the cross of Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And listen to verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. It doesn't matter. It doesn't count for anything, circumcision or uncircumcision. What matters is a new creation, a new heart. What matters is circumcision of the heart. And by the way, friends, that's what Moses said in Deuteronomy. What truly matters is where your heart stands before God. So it's not circumcision or uncircumcision that matters. What truly matters is your heart before God. And Paul is saying, I'll circumcise Timothy because it gives him the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to people who are desperate for the gospel. I don't want to do anything to stand in the way so they may not hear, so they may not listen. I don't want to give them any excuse or stumbling block so they won't hear the gospel. In other words, Paul is saying, to win as many as possible, I'll do whatever it takes for the glory of God. For the glory of God. We do whatever we need to do to win as many as we possibly can. Sometimes for us, it means serving. We serve others so they'll listen to us, right? We show a heart of kindness to them so they recognize where our heart is so they would hear us and listen to us when we share the gospel with them. We do whatever it takes. We spend intentional time. Oftentimes in our own life, we just have our checklist of things. If we're going to reach those people who need Christ, we need to sometimes move away from our checklist of things to do and think, who is it that we can intentionally reach out to today to do service and care and love, to tell them about Jesus? If we're not intentional about it, it will slip away where there's no time left for any of it. And what about our life choices? What do we do? Where do we live? Well, that brings to the second point. If we're going to reach those who are far from God, we must go wherever the Lord leads us. We must do whatever it takes, and we must go wherever the Lord leads. They fulfilled in verses 4 and 5 exactly what their task was. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them the observance of decisions that had been reached. They, they brought the letter from the elders and from the Jerusalem council. They encouraged them. Nothing stands in the way. Proclaim the gospel. Believe. And they're encouraging them to believe. They do all of this. So churches were strengthened in the faith. They increased in numbers daily. This was the task they went for. And so now Paul and Silas and Timothy were looking for more. What's next? Where do we go? How do we proclaim it? Let's, let's go speak the gospel to a another city, maybe a place we haven't gone before. And it doesn't tell us anything in the text other than a few lines here, like in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word. That seems strange. Or verse 7. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, not being allowed by the Spirit of Jesus, why in the world would God not want us to share? Well, let's understand a couple things. You have to put these two verses with what comes next. 
They're not to be read in isolation of this entire section because he forbids them to go through Galatia and he stops them from sharing in Bithynia because he has another plan for them. He has somewhere else for them to go. God's guidance in our life sometimes is negative. Sometimes he closes doors, doesn't he? We have a plan, here's where I'm going, here's what I'm doing, and somehow it doesn't work out. And when we're walking in step with the Spirit and we're following after the Lord, we can, we can say the Lord stopped that plan. He ended that. Sometimes he, he doesn't work this out and sometimes he doesn't work that out. And sometimes we think, what in the world are we doing? I thought this is the way I was going to go and God has a different way. It's not working out as I thought. But usually what we know is God's guidance happens sometimes in a negative way like that. But God's guidance always is positive. While it sometimes happens in a negative way, it's always positive for us. In other words, he does have a plan for us. It's not as if God didn't want them to share or to speak or to reach others. Obviously, that's what he wanted them to do. That's what he proclaimed. That's what he told them to do. But he had a place for them to go. They had their places. God had his. And God shut the doors of others so as to take them to where they needed to be. And understand God's guidance is always positive. He has a plan for each and every one of us as his people to share and to reach and to serve him. All he needs from us is to put our yes on the table. And in reality, when we read the New Testament, that's, that's what it says, right? There's no way you can come and read through the scriptures even and, and, and look at it and think, you know what, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work out my deal for how I want this to work out. You know, 18 to 22, I'm going to graduate college with a 4.0. I, I, I knocked that one off. I didn't do that. Then I'm going to get me a job that's going to be entry level, you know, 100K. And then I'm going to move up over and over. I'm going to have this nice plan. Everybody had this plan. Y'all know y'all had it. No, I like you didn't have this nice plan of the way I want it to work out. There's nowhere in Scripture that we come to and think God is ready for us to give him our plan. When we come to God's Word, he says, I'll take you, I'll lead you, I'll guide you, I've purchased you and redeemed you. You are for my glory as you live and serve. He simply wants us to put our yes on the table, and he speaks to us in our regular obedience through prayer, through scripture, through serving together on mission, just as Paul and, and Silas and Timothy are serving together on mission, praying and reading God's word. They're keeping in step with the spirit. They're saying ultimately and finally, wherever you lead, I'll go, God. Wherever you lead, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever you lead, I'll go. That old hymn reminds me of the quote of Martin Luther. Martin Luther said that Christians don't just tell lies, they also sing them. And think about that for a moment. Wherever you lead, I'll go. But, but Lord, Greenville's really nice. Wherever you lead, I'll go. But, but this job is what I've been waiting for, maybe, God. Wherever you lead, I'll go, but, but just make sure it's a cool place that, that has something to do. Whatever you want me to do, Father, I'll do, but. And what God is saying in his word is there's no qualifying but for those who believe. We trust God, and just as he takes care of the birds in the air and the flowers in the field, he watches over every detail of our life so that we find our flourishing when we're absolutely and completely dependent upon him. Wherever you lead, I'll go, God. 
whatever it is you'd have me to do. And if we're going to reach people who are desperate for the gospel, reach people who are far from God, then we've got to be ready to say, God, wherever you send me, that's where I want to go. Where might the Lord be calling you? Not your plan, but what's God's itinerary for your life? The famous missionary William Carey was headed off to Polynesia. He spent 40 years in India. The famous missionary Adoniram Judson was going to India. He spent his life in Burma. And all of Christian history is, is littered with people who had their plans, but God had another plan for them, and he used them for great glory and for his power and majesty in those places to proclaim his name and reach, let others know Jesus Christ through them. What we have in our passage is the same. Paul and Timothy and Silas had their plan, but God stopped them in every way until finally he shows up in a vision and Paul sees a man in Macedonia standing there, urging him, saying, come on over here. This is called the Macedonian call, one of the great moments in church history. This is when the gospel went from Asia to Europe. This big move of going across that Aegean Sea and going into Europe is going where the gospel had not been. Before, they had synagogues in those cities. They had places where, where there was some fertile ground maybe to go in and share about Jesus. But now they're going to a place where there is no knowledge, where they're serving and following after many other gods. And they're going into a new place in Europe. He had a big plan for Paul and Silas, and Timothy. And maybe God is calling you to something big as well. Maybe he's calling you to go to a place where people have never heard the gospel. We can help get you there. Maybe he's calling you to go to a place for people who, who do not know him and, and do not follow him, but all they're waiting on is someone to come tell them about him. We can help you get there. Maybe he's calling you to do something big, but maybe, maybe he's calling you just simply to go to your neighbor, to go to your friends. Maybe your family, who is so easy to get comfortable and watch football with, but we forget about eternity and how it's real. Maybe he's calling you simply to speak to them. No matter the case, no matter the case, we're never going to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ if we're not willing to go wherever the Lord leads us, wherever he sends us. To reach people, not only we must be willing to do whatever it takes, Go wherever the Lord leads to reach those who are desperate for God. We must proclaim the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. It tells us here, as they go and get the Macedonian call to come help us, they set sail. It tells us how they went through a couple little towns and places, and they finally get to Philippi. Philippi is the leading city, a Roman colony. Caesar Augustus had made Philippi a Roman. That way, anybody, even though Philippi was in, in Greece, if you will, anybody born there was a Roman citizen, all the rights of Rome, very important city. And so Paul and Timothy and Silas find themselves there. There's no synagogue there. It takes about takes 10 men to form a synagogue there, a Jewish synagogue. There's none there. So, so ultimately, they got to find a place. And they, they know that sometimes those who believe in the God of Israel would gather together for prayer at a certain time of day outside the city. And so they go look down by the river. And what do they find? They find some women there praying together. 
And when they find women there praying together, Paul begins to share the good news of Jesus with them. And it says here, one who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. This Lydia was a businesswoman, probably wealthy. Purple goods were the, the goods of kings, if you will. That purple being a dye that was so difficult to manufacture or come up with, so rare it was what kings wore. And so now she is a seller of purple goods and she is there at this time of prayer. And listen what the word says. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Here, as they come to the place of prayer, Lydia, this wealthy businesswoman, is there. And the Lord opened her heart. Notice what it says. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention, to be receptive to the message what Paul gives. Now, we know what Paul gives. Paul gives the gospel. It tells us in chapter 13, it gives us that sermon of Paul, knowing that everywhere he goes, he's proclaiming the God who, who made us and created us, who's holy and righteous and good, and he made us in his image, yet we rebelled against him in sinfulness, and for all have sinned and fall short of his glory, and in rebelling of his sinfulness, there's no way of hope in and of ourselves, yet God God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come back and redeem us and save us. And on the cross, he took our sin and he put our sin to shame and death. And he was buried in a tomb and he rose again on the third day, conquering all the enemies that stand in our way from eternal glory of God. And for anyone who believes in him shall have everlasting life. Jesus is the Savior, and Paul proclaims this. Her heart is open and receptive to this good news. Now, notice what Paul's Paul's responsibility was simply proclaim the good news of Christ faithfully. God is the one who opens the heart. God is the one who draws her in. God is the one who brings her. Paul is not like those, those Judaizers who were just stacking up how many circumcisions they had. Paul is simply a proclaimer, a herald of the good news, and God is the one who makes converts and changes lives through the proclamation of the gospel. Lydia's heart's opened by God, showing his power all glory goes to him. And when she hears that good news, having her heart prepared for it, she responds in belief. And in belief, she's baptized by obedience, the natural profession of faith, if you will, demonstrating that she believes in who Jesus is and what he's done. Baptism, even as we saw this morning, is our identity is placed in Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. After she followed him in obedience, she took the gospel to her household. She wanted others to know. After she took the gospel to her household, she tells Paul and Timothy and Silas, come stay with me. She serves those who are there. Notice this progression. She believes. She follows in obedience. She tells others of the good news that she's found, and she serves. She serves. Ultimately, her response should be the same response of every Christian and convert. To believe in the gospel respond in obedience and take the gospel to others who need to know it and serve others. If we're going to reach those who are far from God, we've got to be ready to do whatever it takes to save as many as possible. If we're going to reach those who are far from God, we've got to be ready to go wherever he leads, to the nations or to our neighbors. If we're going to save those who are far from God, we've got to be ready to proclaim the goodness of the gospel that changes lives, bringing that message to others. Here we see clear choices by Paul and his team to say, we're going to do whatever it takes. 
We see clear dependence on the Lord in every step to say wherever he leads, we're going to go. We see clear proclamation that leads to life change. Paul's great desire was to reach those who were far from God. And we see in this passage what it takes to do so. Maybe the Lord has opened your heart today. Maybe you came here and you're thinking, what, what is he talking about? But ultimately, you know, this is a, a deep part, an intense part of the scriptures working through some, some difficult issues. But at the end of the day, it still remains all about the gospel and changing lives and hearts. At the end of the day, the question for you is, has the Lord prepared your hearts to, to, to hear the gospel and believe? Maybe it's been some months he's been working on you. Maybe it's been this morning. But as the Lord prepared your heart, if you're not a follower of Christ, maybe he's preparing you even now to hear and believe. And maybe this message is one today that you hear and you trust Christ. Maybe it's one in 10 that you hear and you trust Christ, but God is working on your heart even now to believe. Maybe, maybe you need to be baptized. Like we saw today with Miss Beth seeking obedience in baptism and following after them. Maybe that's you. Maybe you believed for some time, but you haven't told anybody about it. You haven't put that on display for the world to see. You haven't publicly professed it. Maybe it's today that you need to do that. But maybe, for the most of us, you need to listen to where the Lord is calling you and sending you. To some, as I said, he may be calling you to go in difficult and hard places to reach people who have never heard before because the gospel, the gospel changes lives. And as been said many times before, the gospel's only good news if it gets there in time. And maybe you that take the gospel to those who are desperate for it become that beautiful feat Paul was talking about in Romans 10 to the nations and to your neighbors. Maybe you need to be thinking right now, who is it? Where do I need to go? Who do I need to see? Pray that the Lord would lay them on your heart, but I'm sure they're not far from you. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your grandchildren. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a loved one in some way, a friend from college, a friend from the past. Maybe it's somebody you know that you love desperately, and for you to withhold the gospel for them any longer would be an act of, uh, act of violence against them in some ways. You see, most of our life is going to be about managing regrets. And the one regret we cannot have is that we didn't share the gospel with those we loved most preciously. If we truly believe it is what it is, if we truly believe this is a matter of life and death, if we truly believe eternity is at stake, then why would we hold that in? The nations, your neighbor, your family, your children, your grandchildren, whoever it is that the Lord lays on your heart, it's got to be somebody. Because everyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ not only wants to go to heaven, but we want to take everybody we possibly can with us to heaven. Who is it for you today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Stir within us a heart and a desire to reach others with the good news of Christ Jesus. Your gospel is precious, Father. May we demonstrate today in our heart and in our life, just how precious it is. Not something we hold to ourselves, but something we give to others. God, as we think about our month of impact here in October, I pray that you would take our church and you would stir within us a heart to reach the nations and the neighbors. 
God, help us to serve you and serve you well. All of these things we ask for your glory. If you're here today and the Lord has been working on your heart to believe, we stand in front. We're happy to receive you. If you need prayer, to be praying with about somebody in your life you know needs the gospel, you want someone to pray with you, we'd be happy to pray with you. Let's stand together and sing.